We're back the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm so excited to welcome the program. I had him on before. We had a blast, but we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things. Derek Huff of World of Dance. Derek, how are you? And I cannot believe Good. it's a, doing? it's another season, and I know a lot of dancers are really excited about this and fans of dancing coming up to the season starting Tuesday, right? For sure. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, it feels like yesterday that, you know, Jennifer approached me and said, hey, I had this idea. There's this new show I want to do. It's like the Olympics for dance, and um, and I'm blinked, and here we are, season three. Um, it's really exciting, man. And this season is going to be absolutely epic. Uh, you know, just dancers from all over the world doing things that we've never seen before, constantly surprising us, constantly wowing us. Um, you know, what I love about this show is that even if you aren't a dancer or not even a fan of dance, you will still love this show. Um, the storytelling, the the you know, just the, the people that you're going to see, I mean, it just moves you, and uh, it's just pure entertainment. It's great. And it's just a, a great platform, and the competition is just is getting bigger and bigger every year, isn't it, Derek? Explain that, like, the more applicants yeah. and people want to be on it. Well, that's what I've noticed, actually, is now people, what I've noticed is that people are now, like, training for World of Dance. They're training for the show. You know, they're going on special diets, they're recruiting choreographers. They're recruiting, you know, people to create this like super group, or um, and they're coming specifically to come and win World of Dance, uh, which makes for just better routines, uh, more exciting moments, uh, and just a really competitive competition. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome to see that. And the ability to have groups of people, right, not just one dancer, is great, too. And different forms of dance are highlighted on this show and opportunities of all ages. That's the other cool thing about this show, too. Yeah, that, exactly. There's, there's, like, everything from the juniors to the adults, you know, the uppers. And uh, we have groups, we have duos, we have soloists, we have tap, ballroom, Latin, contemporary hip-hop. I mean, it really is the Olympics of dancing, uh, truly is, and for a million dollars, you know the stakes are high. Uh, it's 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 really extraordinary. It's a special show too because, you know, um, the scoring system that we have, you know, is it's it's like the Olympics, and um, it's really uh, it's amazing just that they actually have from India, from Australia, New Zealand, Japan, from all over the world. You really get this amazing culture. Um, insight to these cultures and, and through movement and through dance. It's, uh, it's really exciting. And what I love, and when you brought up the world, that's the cool thing, the world, Derek. A lot of people still in the United States think of just the United States and forget the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, and, and that's the thing, too, is the, the exposure and the, the sort of... Uh, the sort of the insight that we get to see on that stage in World of Dance, it's like a little microcosm of the world of dance, no pun intended, um, in that room. And it just creates this electric energy that's just palpable. And, and uh, I just, I, I personally can't help myself. When I'm watching and I see something exciting, like I can't help but react in a, in a physical way. I guess maybe because I'm a dancer, so I react physically first. But... <laughs> Um, it's really exciting, man. It really is. And, and what special times we live in, especially for dance, um, you know, where it's thriving so much and where people are loving it and appreciating it and, and are inspired by it as well. 
And think about, again, Derek, you, you've been stars on other shows as well, Derek, but the difference is that you have a star that's international. They become an international superstar. So you become even a more of an internationally known, Derek, than you did before. And that's really cool, too, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and again, what's so great about the show, too, is that these dancers, it, you know, it's not just about the money. It's not just about the million-dollar prize. It's also just the opportunity and the platform to show what they do and what they do best. Um, and a great example of that, actually, is, you know, um, I'm actually I'm going on a solo tour this, this, uh, this summer, and the cast of dancers I've casted, some of them have been on previous seasons of World of Dance. Um, you know, one of them being Charity Anderson, who it was in season two, made the final. She got the first perfect score ever in the world of dance history with her partner, Andreas. And uh, it's just really awesome that we get, these dancers are getting opportunities and, you know, traveling the world. And it's really, really exciting. It's really exciting to see what they, what they do after the show as well. And that's for sure. And then, it, again, like I said, once you become a star in a certain country, they, they really, it's an amazing thing to see and for them to grow from when you met them to now and say, wow. And the tour, again, everyone can find information on the tour at DerekHuff.com. Isn't that correct, Derek? Yeah, yeah. It's my first solo tour. I'm, uh, what's really special about this show um, is that for the first time ever, I'm taking a live band with me. So the live music will be infused with the live dancing on stage for an epic live, you know, experience. And uh, I'll be in Pittsburgh on April 17th at the Benedum Theater. And uh, I can't wait. It's such a great theater to play in. Um, like I said before, I'm going to have an all-star cast of dancers with live musicians and uh, every different style you could possibly think of from big band music to, you know, classic classical musicals to you know, contemporary to hip-hop to tap um, and ballroom and Latin, of course, you know, can't forget that. So it's going to be an amazing, amazing night uh, filled with a lot of energy, a lot of dance. And I always encourage people to bring their comfortable shoes because I tend to go into the audience a lot and dance with the audience or bring them up on stage. So, uh, yeah. So bring your <laughs> oh, uh, that's for sure, Derek. And again, DerekHuff.com shows the rest of the tour. So people that are listening all over the world will know, especially in the United States, where you're going to be next. And that's awesome. And again, Tuesday night, everyone needs to tune in to World at Dance with Derek Huff and check out all and Jennifer and check out all the great dancers as it starts tomorrow night, right? Yeah, that's right. Tomorrow night, NBC. Awesome. And best place to connect with you is DerekHuff.com and then also on social media. Right, Derek? That's right. Yeah, go to DerekHuff.com, and tickets are available now for the tour. And uh, and don't miss World of Dance, man. It's going to be an epic night, especially the first show is is pretty special. All right. Well, Derek, thanks for calling. Best of luck, and uh, see you in Pittsburgh, okay? All right. Sounds good. All right. See you. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's thanks show. So much. You're welcome. It. Take care. You too. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the total celebrity segment. And I tell you, I remember this guy I interviewed him about four years ago or four seasons ago when he first premiered this show. So I'm really, really excited to welcome the program. Tyler Henry Hollywood medium on E Tyler. How are you? And I remember the week that your show was going to premiere and how excited you are and congrats on all of the success and how you continue to do really well with uh, the show. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be back. It's such an honor, and I'm really excited. We're four seasons in already. It's been crazy. <laughs> and and I think the biggest challenge you have to bring is this gift for people that sometimes become like naysayers, right, Tyler, saying, really, does this really happen? And so many people in Hollywood speak so highly of you. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is something I deal with, and I think being in the public – you know, it does open me up to various points of view. But, you know, this season we actually have a lot of skeptical clients, people that start off as skeptics, end up believers. And, you know, I just try to help the people that I can help. And for those who, who I can't, I, I just have to accept that. And when you're talking about skeptical, what kind of skeptical stuff do they say? Can you say some of the some of the guests that will be on the show? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this season we had a huge skeptic, Steve-O, actually, um, and he had a fascinating reading because he came in as a total non-believer. And to make his reading even more interesting was it was actually conducted by Dr. Drew. Oh, wow. And this reading was done with people while I actually had my brain scanned during a full reading. So the stakes were extra high. I was dealing with a non-believer, and I was getting my brain scanned, and you'll actually see how that experience went. He ended up leaving as a believer. He had a very emotional experience. And you'll actually see the full brain scan results as well this season. So I'm definitely used to dealing with the skeptics. <laughs> and do you love the fact of, of your fans and how, you know, since, you know, you were kind of a secret, Tyler, until you got the show, now you have everyday people reaching out to you, a- asking for advice, social media-wise, all that stuff, right, Tyler? Yeah, well, you know, I'm really thankful. The, the response has been amazing. and. It's, it's been a great opportunity, too, to get to travel. You know, I actually uh, last year had a 23-city live tour where I traveled across the, across the country and did readings and audiences, and actually I have another 23-city live tour coming up this year. So it's just a good opportunity to meet with the fans of the show and connect and potentially receive a reading. Absolutely, and that's that. That's the cool thing is the, the growth of you, and can you walk down the street now, Tyler, with all this uh, fame and before you were, as I said, a best-kept secret in Hollywood for Hollywood's uh, stars, but now you're a celebrity. How are you dealing with that? Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I've, I'm very thankful for the, the notability there, I guess you could call it. I, I really don't consider myself famous, but maybe maybe by association. <laughs> <laughs> just all the, the readings I've done with celebrities, but it's been so incredible. And just seeing how it's affected the viewers' lives has been really special for me. A lot of these people have gone through loss, the people at home, and they watch the show and they find comfort from it. And that's really what it's all about. Do other mediums reach out to you, Tyler, thanking you for being on this, having this show to really get this out in the, the mainstream about? Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Huge outreach from people in the spiritual community, people who. Um, you know, didn't really have anyone to look to or didn't know where to see themselves in a, in a public sense. And I, I think that it's important to have visibility with the subject matter. And in bringing it with a TV show that airs in over 130 countries, I think there's been a lot of visibility in, in discussing at least the subject matter and making it a point of conversation. And I think it's a lot of people who feel they have abilities to kind of talk about them more. Absolutely. Again, we're tiling, talking to Tyler Henry of Hollywood Medium on E! on on the Neil Haley Show. And Tyler, any big surprises this year that you expect? Yeah, well, you know, this, this year we actually had a whole new gamut of celebrity readings ranging from Rebel Wilson, Sofia Vergara, uh, Macklemore, Howie Mandel. So there's going to be some very surprising readings this season. And um, in addition, like I mentioned with the brain scan, very excited to show the results of that. And people will also see me navigate doing a reading in front of 2,000 people. So uh, this season's a lot more behind the scenes. 
And you like that for sure, right? The the kind of the whole production behind the scenes. What do you like about it? Are you very involved in that as a not just being the performer? Yeah. It's very interesting because, you know, production is all very separate from me. And so it's interesting to kind of see the inner workings of how it goes when we're in transition. And people will really kind of see more of the emotional impact that these readings have on me when the readings are done and also beforehand. So it gives people more insight and I think into the process and will answer a lot of the questions that people have about how I do what I do. And how do you like to connect on social media? Are you a big social media guy? Will you answer questions from your fans, things like that? Absolutely. My favorite social media is Instagram, and people can follow me over there at Tyler Henry Medium. And my Twitter is Ty Henry Medium. And for those who are curious about the tour dates, you can get the full list of tour dates on my website, which is TylerHenryHollywoodMedium.com. So, very excited. And fantastic. And everyone needs to tune into your show on Thursday nights. Is that correct? At 8 p.m.? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Thursday nights, 8 p.m. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Tyler. Best of luck. I'm so excited for you to get to see the growth from the first time we talked. And I I know how nervous you were doing that radio tour, media tour to now where you're a natural and your show continues to grow. And I'm so happy for you. So thanks again for calling. Thank you. It means a lot. I hope to talk to you season eight. All right. Take care. (laughs) Thanks again. Take care. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Lyrically Lime. I'm the co-host of the show, Neil Haley, and I'm excited to welcome the program my, uh, the host of the show, Peyton Leonard. And Peyton, we have an amazing guest. Every week I uh, bring some really interesting stories to the table for you to talk, and it really relates to your brand as well, Peyton. Thanks for coming on again and, uh, and having another episode of Lyrically Lime. Thank you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. It's amazing. So thank you. All right. So let's introduce our guest. I'm excited. Yes, we have uh, on the show tonight, Tammy Stamps. She's an author, musician, I'm told. She's overcome so many different obstacles. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Tammy, how are you tonight? I'm good. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. All right, Peyton, I know you have the first question ready to roll and uh, ask Tammy questions because, again, I see that you guys both have overcome so much adversity that makes me say, hey, you know, I shouldn't complain about anything any day that goes through for what you guys have gone through. (laughs) So go ahead, Peyton, with that first question. Um, Yeah. Um, So I wanted to ask you, Tammy, why did you write your book? And uh, can you tell us what the title of your book is? Sure. The the name of the book is called Our Time, and it's my memoir. And the reason I wrote the book is I escaped uh, 43 years of abuse at the hands of my father. And once I mm. escaped, you know, all of the anger and the rage that had been stopped started coming out. And so I started writing the book, and mainly as a journal, and it, it was very raw. And so I put it away for a while. It was kind of too much. And mm. um, years later... I had gone to a therapist in Florida, and she's one that, her name is Joan Childs, and she's the one who encouraged me to write the book. She felt like once she heard my story that other people would uh, benefit from my journey. And so that was my, my whole passion is to empower other people. So I was all for it. So I went back and I rewrote it. 
And see, and I'm uh, that's gotcha. such, such, that's and, and 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 that's part of therapy, right, Tammy? You wrote it, and uh, congrats on you know uh, published and having this opportunity. But really, you wrote this as therapy for you to finally finish this, so that you can as a closure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because the, like I say, at the very first, it was very raw, and it wasn't something that you would print. <laughs> but uh, when I went back to it. I was able to look at it somewhat differently and then put it in, in terms that, you know, I felt would be beneficial for everyone. That's amazing. Uh, and how long did this abuse go for? It was for 43 years. 43 years. Wow. Yeah, I, I know that's somewhat unheard of, but it's true. Wow, I'm so sorry. That's really sad. But I, I'm well, glad you're here and you've overcome it. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, sometimes you have to go through the darkness to see the light. And so, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to go through it again, but, um, you know, it's it's made me who I am. It brought me to, to this point in my life where I can help other people. So going through, you said through That's childhood awesome. it started, Tammy. And then through childhood you're yeah. telling me you let this continue to happen. And this is where abusers do is they abuse people because they finally figured out that they're just used to this. They become numb to it and they feel like it's a certain love, right, Tammy? In a way, because of just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, mm -hmm. the, yes. The way that the perpetrator does things with covert language and then they develop a trauma bond, you know, at an early, early age, my, my father in his mm -hmm. first marriage had a daughter, and he was not allowed to see her after age two because he had been inappropriate with her. And so I was the youngest. And so, you know, the perpetrator molds you. It's not like a carrot and a stick. They're nice to you. They act like they love you, and then they abuse you. And, and it, it's confusing. It's very confusing. And, mm. you know, I believe that abuse is kind of like the five stages of grief. You deny it, then you're angry, then you try and bargain. And then the depression hits, and then finally you just kind of give up and you accept your fate. Wow. That's intense. But so true. But so true. Mm hmm You know, and you accept it until you don't. <laughs> and that's what happened with yeah. me. Yeah. finally got to that point. Thanks to someone, one person, really, that cared enough to look. Changed my life. Saved my life. That's amazing. It, it's, it, so what it, other challenges were you... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go, Peyton. No, it's you. Go. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask, what other challenges were, were you able to overcome? Um, well, I know you have the abuse, but, like, what else has, have you been able to overcome throughout your life? Well, I think, you know, through abuse, your self-esteem, your confidence is shattered. And I think one of the things that I always was when I was growing up was very optimistic. I think that is the one thing that, uh, one of the several things, but one of the things for me emotionally that helped me survive. And so I overcame that other personality that accepted and was in kind of denial and pain to think. I used to say to myself, well, my father has to die sometime, and when he does, then I'll have a life. 
I mean, it was mm. it was that. And I think wow. the demons you carry with you, the anger, the triggers, the reactions, the body reactions, I'm not so sure mm-hmm. that you really ever overcome it. You deal with it. And some days it's yeah. breath to breath, you know. Um, it's, it's a healing journey, and I think it's a lifelong healing journey. But you've got to be tender with yourself. You definitely do. And, 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 yeah. and, and I think that you, as you said, just didn't recognize it till somebody finally, I mean, you knew it was abuse. You knew it didn't feel good. You knew you were, your self-esteem was in the toilet. You knew that you were just Mm -hmm. absolutely sad, Tammy, but however, you needed somebody else to be that person to say, Hey, you know what? It it was a therapist or somebody you have to let, you have to have this stop, finish this. This is has to stop. Well, absolutely. My story was is just kind of um, interesting, I guess, because I don't know about anyone else, but I know when you're being abused and you're in a violent situation, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and, and physical abuse, that you're so scared. You want someone to see it so badly, but you're so scared that they will because you know either way your life is going to be turned upside down. And, you know, in my case, uh, no one knew about my abuse until I left at 3 a.m. on September 4, 2004. Um, I had a, a friend of mine. I owned my own martial arts academy, and we had a talent show that mm-hmm. night uh, for the students and for myself. And so I sang that night, and it just so happened that I had some friends in my in the front row, and there was one chair behind me, and it was my father. Well, one of my friends saw him looking at me in a way that she didn't think was right. And so she came up to me the next day when I was by myself in my academy, and she said, Tammy, somebody's hurt you. And my dad was so, um, had brainwashed us and threatened us so much that, you know, our reputation of our family was everything to them. And we were Mm -hmm. threatened, you know. So I just said, I'm fine. No, no, they haven't. And I was hoping she'd walk away, but my heart jumped into my throat, and I was scared to death as a 43-year-old. And the next day she came up to me and she said, Tammy, I know who it was. And I said, who? And she said, your father. And within one week, I was gone. Wow. Um, Yeah. I mean, and to be... Yeah, if she wouldn't have have said that... Excuse me. Yeah, no, I can't believe it. If she wouldn't have said that, you never would have gone. But why till 43 did it take you... To say I've had enough. That woman. Well, you know. I tell you, that is what. If if you're familiar with perpetrators at all, they have what they have covert language that they embed in you as a little kid. It's a look. It's a gesture. It's a way they say things. It's a touch. No one else knows it. My dad was a master of the look. I'm, uh, you know, along with mm-hmm. other things. But just for instance, there's a, a true story about a boy that was being abused by his father. And his father would tell his son, he'd say, you and I both know the truth, but if you ever tell the truth, and he would take his finger across his throat. Well, eventually it came out, and they were in court, and the father decided to represent himself. So the other side came up and started uh, questioning the boy, and that went fine. But when it was time for his father to come up and question him, the very first thing his father said was, you and I both know the truth. And he took his finger slightly across his throat, and the boy lost it. 
No one else knew what was going on except for the boy's attorney who said, we need to stop this now. You know, there's, there's mm. subtle things, and there's a trauma bond that when you're, mold, you're molded by someone, by the people that are supposed to love you for 43 years, and you're scared to death, you know, people say, well, why didn't you leave? Well, it's you're in fear, you're frozen, and you're, you just accept your fate, and you think, I'm strong enough to handle mm. it. I don't want to tear my family apart. I, I can just do this. He's got to die someday. You know, and it's, it's sickness. It's a very sick uh, environment. But it's, I, I remember being in my room one night and hearing my dad hit my sister with his fist against the fireplace. And she was my older sister. And, you know, you see things and you don't want that to happen to you. And mm-hmm. it's fear-based. And my dad was a military man for a while. And he would always, to me, not to my sister, but would always say, we're back-to-back. He would never betray me. And if you do, <laughs> you know, it, threat, 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 and control. We had sleep deprivations. We had phone calls that were recorded. It just, it was, it was just honestly horrible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, Peyton, and, and, and this is um, brings to light about the, the show in so many ways that you want people like this on to tell these stories, to say, regardless of what's happened in your life, to never give up. Right, Peyton? Yeah, definitely. For sure. For sure. Your story is very inspiring and really amazing, and I'm so, so happy that you're out of that situation. Oh, me too. I, I really am. You know, when I first got out, I I had this slide that I was doing a presentation, uh, a book signing, and um, it had a picture of a red balloon. And behind the balloon and around it was a beautiful landscape. And I, for all, you know, I don't know why, but all of a sudden I thought, that red balloon to me represents hate and anger and rage and pain and guilt and all of those feelings. And when you're abused, you focus on the red balloon and that's all you're focusing Mm. on. And if you can all of a sudden change your view, take a breath and look around it, you'll see the beauty in the world around you that you weren't able to see Mm -hmm. before. And all of a sudden you not only see the beauty around you, but you see the beauty inside of you. But as long as you focus on what's wrong, that's what you're gonna live with. And then, and that negative, right. and that negativity you. that you that comes out of you, Tammy, regardless of what goes through on mm-hmm. in your life, just kind of means how you deal with things. But that, the, that's a follow up question to say. But you thrived in adversity. <laughs> with, I mean, uh, again, yeah. uh, I, I, you, so you're not really the norm in a way that you went through so much abuse, but yet you thrived in martial arts. You're a musician. Mm-hmm. How, how did you kind of, kind of block it out of your mind and, and take the, sh- the shot, take the chances to be successful in the two crafts that you uh, have? Well, you know, it's kind of strange because it's ironic. Uh, Martial arts is something that my father encouraged me to get into. And Mm. it was kind of uh, a game because he knew that I would learn how to defend myself, but he knew he had brainwashed me and controlled me enough that I could not defend myself against him, and I wouldn't. And so it was an escape for me. You know, there were uh, several things that really saved my life, and martial arts and music were two of those things. 
Music allowed mm -hmm. me a voice that I never had. And martial arts gave me an opportunity to vent in a positive way. But, you know, it also showed me the lack of confidence yes. that I had because I would get at a national, international, USC level, and most of the time I would get it to the semifinal level. And then I would just give up my attitude, my confidence. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, in my mind to the other person, well, you worked harder, you're probably better, you deserve this, you know, and I give up. And so although I was successful, there were demons every day. But the, the music itself, um, that is something that when I was growing up, that really saved me because uh, Celine Dion is, is my favorite singer, and her music just touched me. I could feel it, and it is one of those things that made me feel. You know, you shut things off and you stop feeling except for because it hurts too bad. But she made me feel and I was always interested in music, but then when I left this situation of abuse, that's when I actually started writing music. And and not all of it was about abuse, but a lot of it was. But you know, mm -hmm. the other two two things that really saved my life was my dog. I know that sounds funny, but she was the one thing in my life that taught me what love was, that mm -hmm. how to love, and that I was lovable. And the the last thing that really saved my life was the shirt I put over my face when I was abused. Oh, you know, it, it saved a lot of, of horrible things for me. And so, you know, but music and martial arts, the movements and the music, they say, a therapist told me one time, she said, Tammy, that, that is what saved your life. Mm, wow. It's a, it's definitely a, 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 a wow. But uh, Peyton also is a musician. So, Peyton, I know you have a musician question for Tammy. I did, um, but I feel like she's already answered it. Um, In a way she uh, has, but we don't know. You. Even, but you can talk about at least uh, Peyton explaining your musical talent and your what you've overcome with Lyme disease and how you still love music and it's it's a passion of yours and it helps you get through the day. So look at that relationship in between and uh, I think Tammy will be interested in learning about that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, thanks. So yeah, um, having Lyme disease, um, I've also had trauma from my past that has deeply affected me um, and and has led me to have de depression and borderline personality disorder and so many other mental illnesses and mm -hmm. so many other different things. Um, but music has really helped me through it all, uh, especially yeah. when I first came home from James Madison. Uh, mm -hmm. from, um, I had come home from college uh, because I just couldn't keep up with classes. And I had Lyme at the time, but I didn't realize it. And then that, that November, I was diagnosed. Um, but music really helped me through that time. It was a very dark time. I remember days where I was just asking God to end my life because I just felt uh -huh. so miserable. <laughs> and I felt so yeah. much pain physically, mentally, spiritually, and like every kind of realm. And uh, yeah. music really gave me comfort and helped me to kind of pick myself up and and be able to just trust God with the pain that I was experiencing. And uh, just really taught me how to surrender all of those things that I've been through 
to him yeah. and allow the, those me to heal from those things. So mm-hmm. yeah, and in a way, music saved my life too. I mean, God saved my life ultimately, but it, through music and through my family and through therapy and everything else, it's definitely yeah. been a long journey. But um, I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned. And um, well, yeah, well, it's that's, that's amazing like that. because you know I I have a friend of mine who uh, was bit by a tick. It wasn't Lyme disease, but it was. It was horrible, and she almost died, and it's affected mm. her speech, her kidneys, her memory. I, I'm, yeah. I'm amazed at what you're going through because that is horrible. It, it really is. It's amazing that you, you've made it through it. And, you know, one of the things that you said with your story that I can I can certainly relate to is when you said, you know, you were in so much pain, you asked God to end your life, and you know, mm-hmm. I can tell you how many times that, that I I as well did that. I said, please, just don't open my eyes in the morning. I don't want to get up. And then my eyes right. open in the morning, and I just go, ah. <laughs> you know, take yeah. a deep breath and uh-huh. move on. But but I, I remember one time I had um, a gun to my head, and mm. I was just, you know, I, I think when people try and do that, it, it, it's just you can't escape the pain. It's, it's horrible. Yeah, and I remember yeah. I heard a voice, and I don't know, you know, if it was a spiritual thing or whatever, but it said, you're not done yet. And mm-hmm. honestly, I hated that, I hated that voice because I wanted to be done. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, you know, I would um, – I'm glad that, I, that, it, that I'm not done. <laughs> but the story you yeah. told just then, you know, it, it is amazing what music and, and belief and – just strength can get you through a lot, and you you had to be strong to get through what you were going through. Thank you, I appreciate that. You too, you too. Well, thank <laughs> you. You both absolutely. And uh, when when I talk when you talk about your success in martial arts, I wanted to kind of jump onto that question, uh, Tammy. Do you, mm-hmm. you are you're still involved in it, even though your father got you involved? This is a passion of yours still, correct? Martial arts. It it is. It is. I uh, had my own martial arts academy in Wichita, Kansas for over 14 years and been in martial arts for about 38. And I work at a university and I teach self-defense to uh, women, female faculty and staff, and then to different businesses and that sort of thing. Because empowering women especially is is really a passion of mine, emotionally, physically, and, and otherwise. Wow. You know, and so I have a story, Tammy, and then I'm going to let Peyton ask another question. I uh, was a former professional wrestler and wrestled on a TV station in Wichita, Kansas, when they did TV back in like 96 in this small, low access television station in Wichita. So, yeah, I forget what station it was. It was still, uh, I don't think it was on cable. It was like one of those with the antenna. And uh, it was in a TV studio (laughs) live uh, in Wichita. And I drive out from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, out to Wichita to wrestle. So, professional wrestling minor league. 
leagues, oh and I was the, the it was the <laughs> Sunflower State Heavyweight Champion. So if I'm going back and dating myself, it was probably 1995, wow. 94, 95 uh-huh. in, Wichita, wow. in Wichita. Yeah, so I have memories of Wichita. Oh my that's it. So that's kind of a. Yeah. Uh, uh, I remember just flatland driving from Lawrence to Wichita to go do TV, where I would go and <laughs> stay at my friends, my one of my wrestling friends, buddy, uh, in Lawrence. So I'd drive. I'd drive straight from Lawrence, mm-hmm. stay in Lawrence, and then go wrestle in Wichita the next night. So I remember all those things. Oh my yeah, yeah. So that's a, a oh, what, yeah. yeah, for sure. But uh, I forget little TV station. <laughs> I forget the TV station, but it was one of those where they were had live wrestling, and this is '95. So yes. and and uh, you know old time studio where we we walk in and specifically uh, in the back, and it was a television studio, and I think it was like one of those. Uh, I think it was on cable. I don't know for sure, but. That that's my story of Wichita uh-huh. for you. <laughs> that's, it's a small world, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it truly is for sure, Tammy. That's uh, awesome. And it's all right. So Peyton, go ahead. Uh, uh, if you have another question for uh, Tammy, again, we're talking to Tammy Stamps about her book, about uh, her her martial arts expertise, and then also uh, about life and dealing with abuse. I know, Peyton, there's got to be something else you want to ask Tammy before we let her go. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just wanted to ask, what advice would you give others who have been abused? Well, I would say, you know, if they haven't gotten out of the situation, my recommendations are use your voice. I mean, it's so prominent in, in our world today that, you know, it's it's been under the radar. Everybody's been, you know, told hush hush, and it, it, that time is done. People need to stand up, and I'm so happy that people are starting to do that. But they need to tell someone because when you're silent, you're the victim. As long as you're silent, mm-hmm. you're a victim, and that gives the perpetrator power, and, and they continue to take it from you. And to me, you've got to tell someone because someone you trust, obviously. But uh, you've right. got to get out because the longer you're in it, you know, the, and it keeps going on, the longer it's going to take for you to try and heal. So that's, that's my advice is to really um, appreciate yourself and yes. honor yourself mm-hmm. and stand up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, and Peyton, I guess you've gotten all of it about adversity. Her last question always Peyton asks is regarding adversity and how she's dealt with it. But the whole story has been about adversity, Peyton. What have you learned from Tammy today that, uh, will take our listeners and yourself, Peyton, uh, (laughs) moving forward, especially when we feel down about ourselves after what she's gone through in her life and to still, uh, be quite a success and also really giving back. Yeah, for sure. Um, what have I learned? I, I feel like I really took to what you said about just speaking up. Because I know for me, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the things that I've gone through happened at a very young age where I didn't really have a voice. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm in a place where I'm starting to grow and cultivate my voice. And mm-hmm. so um, that's something I would definitely want to take to heart and encourage other people to find their voice. Um, yeah, because it's it's so important. Um, oh, it it really is. It is. You know, Definitely. one thing that 
if if I can interject one thing, yeah, you know, sure. we're talking about uh, self-esteem and that sort of thing. Once I wrote my book and I had my voice, that was the first time in my life I actually had a voice. Even my music mm. changed. I started being able to put emotion in it. And I remember one night I was getting ready uh, for a, a book signing, and I was in the bathroom, and I looked in the mirror. I just happened to glance in the mirror and made eye contact with my, myself. And when I did, all of a sudden, this voice came in my head, and it said, your heart is beating. You're breathing. Mm. You are. You are a survivor, and I'm so proud of you. And, and tears started coming down my eyes. It was that moment that all of a wow. sudden I started to love myself. And, you know, it, it's huge. But it's got to take a, a, everyone. I think to use your voice, like you were saying, when you're younger, it's, it's hard. But we need to start educating our youth that it's okay to say no. It's yeah. okay to speak up. No one has a right to cross that boundary if you don't want them to. I know as a, as a society, yes. we need to stand up. Absolutely. And Tammy, where, Absolutely. And so Tammy, where can we purchase your book and learn more about you? Where's the best place we can go? Well, you can go two different places. If you want to purchase the book, it's available on Amazon. I uh, just type my name in and uh, Tammy stamps and then our time, it'll pop up. But I also have a website you can go to where you can uh, hear some of my music and also uh, more of my story. And that is www.ourtimestory.com. Excellent. Well, uh, best okay. of luck and continued success with your book. And Tammy, it was great talking to you and thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks both yes, of you thank very you. much for having me. I appreciate it. Best of luck to both of you. Thank you. Okay, take care, Tammy. Thank you so okay. much. All right, see you later. Thank bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Uh, All right, that was Lyrically Lime, everyone. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Caregiver Dave uh, Authors Corner segment. I'm first excited to welcome program Caregiver Dave. And Dave, you're going to be traveling to Vegas next. You just continue to be the world traveler, Hawaii, Vegas, and I just stay in Pittsburgh, and I just stay in Pittsburgh. I just pretend I'm all over the world. Poor Neil. Yeah, I just got back from a 26-day stay. I'm author of 100 Things Missouri Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, Dave Dave Matter. Dave, thanks for calling, and uh, when you think about books and 100 Things, is this your first 100 Things book you've written, Dave? Yeah, it sure is. You know the whole story of what Triumph Books does with 100 Things. The fans love them, don't they? Yeah, they really do. You know, we, we had great success um, that the company did with, with our St. Louis Cardinals book, which was written by my colleague Derek Gould at the Post-Dispatch. I think it's one of the best sellers in the series. And, um, you know, our St. Louis Blues one did really well, too. So I was really happy to do the, do the Missouri book. Why did you, why did you work the, um, write the book, Dave? You know, I've, I've covered Missouri for almost almost 20 years now, so and, and a lot of that has been football, with with more basketball sprinkled in here the last uh, about five or six years. And uh, you know, just you 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 learn. I, I like doing the book because I got to learn about some of the stuff that happened way before my watch um, back in the the 1960s when when Missouri football was one of the best programs in the country, um, and and really the early years of the Norm Stewart years for basketball back in the 
70s and, and early 80s. So it was a lot of fun to do. And it was and it was also fun to, to write about the things that I did cover. And, and I'm more familiar with to kind of revisit and, and give a new spin on things. Very, very, very true. And Caregiver Dave, do we, or is your line good Can now? you hear can me? Can you hear out? Caregiver yeah, we Dave? Can, we, we can hear you now completely. Oh, Dave, good. So Dave, yeah, I decided to call on a landline. Yeah, I was trying to review. I asked the first question I asked Dave Matter is why he wrote the book. And he talked about, you know, the specifics of being involved in Missouri sports. And I knew that one person I was surprised about, uh, Dave Matter, is Norm Stewart. That one is the one I think is the quintessential because I'm such a basketball fan, college basketball fan, those days in Missouri. And I'm sure there's a lot of things in the book about that. And would you, wouldn't you agree uh, on uh, Norm Stewart? Oh, absolutely. You know, Norm, kind of the, the, the knock on Norm maybe from a national perspective was he, he didn't get to a Final Four, but he, he did everything other than that. You know, he, he won multiple, multiple Big Eight championships, uh, which was really kind of the focus during his regime. I mean, he, he, he put so much more stock into winning the conference and then sorting, sort of letting the chips fall where they may in the national tournament, the NCAA tournament. But he's, he's a living legend here in Columbia. Uh, they unveiled a statue of him outside the, the arena last year. And, um, you know, he, he pretty much defined that program for over, four, over four decades and um, was, was one of the great coaches in college basketball. Well, Dave, tell me, this is, this is Dave again. Like I said, I never met a man named Dave I didn't like. What sport is king in Columbia? Is it football or basketball? Maybe you can resolve this this question for me. You, you know, it's uh, it, it kind of depends on the year. You know, the basketball program up until last season had kind of been in just uh, almost vanished off the face of the earth for about four <laughs> seasons. And they really came back last year with the hiring Conzo Martin. They sold out of season tickets, and it was – the program was back to being relevant, but really since the, since the early years of the Gary Pinkle era and football talking 2003, 2005, um, Missouri has really become, I wouldn't say it's first and foremost, a football program, but that's why they were able to join the sec because he made that program relevant on a national scale, you know, between 2007 and 2013, uh, 2014, they, they played in four, conference championship games, two in the Big 12, two in the SEC. They didn't win those games, but they got the program back to where um, they, they really mattered locally and nationally. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of excitement around basketball right now with what Conzo Martin is doing. Um, and I, I think the football program has kind of reached a standard now where they expect to play in bowl games every year and, and be competitive in the SEC. Wow, that's a See, great that's place to be. To, and so, Dave, um, caregiver Dave, the way I would look at this <laughs> is – I, when looking at Missouri football and the resurgence that you talked about, I think about the Big 12. Once they've gone to the SEC, uh, Dave Matter, have you seen in certain ways that they have not been able to compete the le- to the level in the Big 12? Well, you know, the first year was a little rough. They had a lot of injuries. They struggled to compete with the teams on their schedule. But, you know, 2013, Missouri won 12 games and went to the the SEC championship game. If they beat Auburn in that game, which was an absolute shootout, Missouri's playing for the national title. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I think they kind of sent a message right there that, hey, they can can compete in this division. The next year, they weren't as talented on on offense especially, but they went right back to Atlanta to play in the SEC championship again. And they lost to Alabama, but I, I think, continued to show that um, they're not going to be a pushover in this league. Now, they've gone through a bit of a transition here 
between the Gary Pinkle era and, and Barry Odom, who's now in his third season. Um, but the program is, is trending in the right direction. I, I don't think they're considered, um, you know, a, a, a nobody in this league anymore. You know, they may not ha- have gained a lot of respect. I think you have to do it year after year in this conference. Um, nobody will give you credit for 2013 and 2014 in 2018. Uh, but the program itself has gotten stronger and gotten to the part where they expect to compete in the SEC East every year. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question because, you know, I, I have a, I'm pretty close to Missouri because I spoke on the battleship Missouri. You know, that's the mighty Mo, the one that uh, accepted the Japanese uh, surrender at Pearl Harbor. So I feel like I'm, I'm kind of uh, uh, a fan in that way. But what was one of your favorite stories from the book, Dave? You know, I, I enjoyed looking back at the early, early history of, of the football program itself and how it came to be. It was in, in the, the late 1800s, 1890s, and then there was a, wow. a physics professor on campus who, uh, who had spent some time at Harvard and, and, and witnessed uh, the first football program at Harvard, one of the first in the country to pop up and gain popularity, and, and he, he wanted to start the same thing at Missouri. So he found some students um, who would be interested in they, they became sort of a, um, I guess you'd call it an intramural team now, and they, they, mm-hmm. they found uh, a, a team at Washington University in St. Louis and played the first-ever game with them. So the stories like that were, were interesting to me just to see where this all started from. Um, and, and, you know, that, that professor only spent one year on campus, and then he went, he went elsewhere. So his time at Missouri was very short, but his impact, his influence was monumental. Wow. I didn't know it went no, back that far. Think, <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, something that – are you uh, a history buff at all, Dave Matter, that you would go ahead and <laughs> uh, go back that far in sports for this book? Especially, I'm sure no one said yeah. that in their 100 things and saying, wow, I think of that <laughs> when I think of 100 things. I'm a Pitt fan through and through Pitt, University of Pittsburgh, and I, I think they've written a 100 things book. I don't know for sure. I know the Pirates had a great one when I interviewed about Pittsburgh Pirates and their 100 things. But when you think about 100 things, you go back in specific history because people tell that history. What you just told us about, Dave Matter, is that the history that, you, that some people know in Columbia about, about the school, or is that just uh, new findings, what you put in there? You know, that was, it was something I found interesting. You know, you kind of have to dig up some research on things like that. There's, there's, not, a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of resources available for, for back at that time. You know, fortunately, uh, the, the Historical Society here in Columbia, which is on, on Mizzou's campus, um, you know, has a, lot of that, has a lot of that content. And I, was, I really, you know, made it a habit to spend a lot of time there when, when researching this book. You know, Missouri has a nice tradition as far as football goes, but it's not one of the storied programs in the country. So um, what is, well, I think what was fortunate about when you want to write about Missouri and learn about Missouri because of the journalism school, which is one of the best in the country, um, there's a lot, there's a lot been written about the university and the program because so many writers and reporters have come out of the school. So um, that was part of this process that I really did enjoy the most, just the, um, the, the learning and the research and, uh, you know, trying to uh, you know challenge myself to find some things that I didn't know that that I, I knew readers probably wouldn't know about either. Yes, for sure. Hey. So let's kind of go ahead. So that that well, I was, was going to ask you. Yeah. Go ahead, Neil. 
you go, Dave. You go. So, Dave, what what did you find out about Missouri that you did not know about? Um, you know, I, I think uh, I wasn't as familiar probably with uh, the, the program as far as prior to the 60s. The 60s is when the program really took off under, under Dan Devine. Um, before that, they Don Furrow was a coach for a long time, and, and his big challenges were was to make the program more relevant on a national scale. And to do that, he scheduled uh, very, very tough games. I mean, they, I think, and, and also part of that was too that he had to get the athletic department um, in good shape financially. He, they they inherit they dealt with a lot of debt. Um, they had to. Uh, Part of that was had to do with facilities and building the stadium that still stands today. Uh, so M- Missouri played some ridiculously tough schedules back in the 50s and 60s, and ultimately, I think they gained notoriety, gained some respect nationwide for winning some of those games and and, and becoming uh, one of the best teams in the country that didn't necessarily win a win a championship. They won conference championships, not national championships. And, um, and I, I think that was, I mean, that was the kind of the golden age of the program uh, back in the sixties before they kind of got stuck in a rut for a long time of hiring and firing coaches over, over a couple decades. It's interesting. And you talk about Dan Devine, that's the name that just like Norm Stewart, that, everyone in the, across the country knows about Dan Devine. So what is your experience with that name, that coaching name, and that coaching legend in so many ways, that name? Yeah, you know, he just, he just raised the standard at the program. You know, he, he came in and um, he was very demanding, very tough coach. He uh, was somebody who, um, you know, had they, they recruited very well in the, in the state of Missouri and, and found some players from elsewhere around the country. Um, but he was somebody that was, had a, a system in mind. Uh, they, they ran the ball um, as well as anybody back then. They were a great, great defensive team under his watch. And yeah, he, his time at Missouri wasn't very long. He, he left to go become the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And, uh, you know, that was just a, when he got that calling, he, it was something he couldn't pass up. Um, but that, that era when he was on campus, um, you know, Missouri, I, I think they, if they didn't win the most games in the sixties, they're in like the top five for the decade nationally. I don't know the wow. numbers on top of my head. Um, and, and again, they didn't, they didn't win a national championship. They came really close in 1960. Um, but they were, they were one of the most consistent, consistently good to excellent teams in that decade. Awesome. Well, Dave always so, has this final question. Go ahead, Dave. I wanted to jump to that. Yeah, final I just wanted to wish. That, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I wanted go ahead. to wish you go luck ahead. on the book, A uh, Hundred Things Missouri Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Um, and before I ask that question, let me just ask you: You know, how can we get a hold of you? A hold of me? You're on so- social media, Dave Madden. Social media, Dave underscore matter on Twitter is, is where you can find me. And we, I post all my links there and, and it can be pretty accessible there for the most part. All right. All right. So what, what, one thing that Dave is, is a caregiver. And that's why Dave travels across the country to speak. And Dave has a question for you, Dave. So the Dave's and the final question. So go ahead, Dave. Caregiver question Dave. for Dave uh, by Dave. 
Yeah, yeah I'm a caregiver. Uh, my wife had a stroke 22 years ago, and uh, uh, now I'm caregiver Dave, and so I, I take care of caregivers because caregivers don't take care of themselves. You know, a lot of uh, football injuries, traumatic brain injuries, are uh, plaguing players, you know, later on in life. And I just wondered, uh, you know, are you, are you familiar with some, uh, some friends you have that, that are suffering from this? And, you know, have they got a caregiver? And uh, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? Uh, fortunately, no, I, I don't, I'm not really familiar with, with anyone in, in that condition though, obviously would be sensitive to, to anyone who does and, and would need that kind of help. And, um, uh, I'm sure it's greatly appreciated. <laughs> well, again, right. uh, if you know, if you know anybody, just, uh, support a caregiver because they, they're, they got a rough job. 30% of them actually die before their loved ones. And so, uh, yeah. parents get elderly, you know, if they fall down, break a hip, boom, you're a caregiver overnight. So it's, it's been a pleasure and that, and that, uh, interviewing you, Dave. Thank you. And so, Thank you very much for having me. Dave, I appreciate it. You're welcome. And, Dave, we're kind of looking at Dave Matter in, in certain ways, Dave. The older you get, we'll end up taking care of our parents at one point in time, if that's the case. Or, yeah, or I, they'll take care of us, and that's going to for sure happen. I like to say if you're if you're not a caregiver, just wait one day. You're either going to become one or you're going to need one. So exactly. hang in there and right, well, uh, uh, talk awesome. to you uh, and Good luck in the season. We'll see if Missouri basketball, you're really thinking it's going to be a great year, isn't it, do you think, this year for Missouri uh, basketball? Yeah, you know, I, I, think they're, uh, I think they should be an NCAA tournament team again like they were last year, and um, we'll, we'll see if they can do it. Okay. Well, thanks for calling, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Neil Haley's show will be back in just a moment.